0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you and a lot of familiar faces that we haven't seen in a while. Um, We are, as you can see, in this Advent series, and we'll be in this Advent series leading up to Christmas. And for the next few weeks, we will be talking about faith, uh, love, and peace, and Josh, John, and Wayne, will be speaking to us as we journey in this time. And what Advent is, it's a season of the church that leads up to Christmas, and it's a time where we revisit the anticipation and the longing the Israelites felt back 2,000 years ago, and they felt for having a savior to come and rescue them. Today, we're gonna explore the context and the backdrop of this anticipation and waiting. Um, I used a few resources to help me prepare for my sermon. I just wanted to share that with you uh, this morning. It's in the next slide. And if you'd like to explore more about this topic, you can come to me. Uh, But more importantly, you can also go to these resources. It's in the next slide after that. Uh, So if you want, you can take a picture of that Uh, And I'll be borrowing from these resources quite a lot uh, during the sermon. As I reflected on the theme of, of hope and this theme of waiting, I realized that as human beings, we constantly go through cycles and times of waiting and anticipation. What are some of the things that you are waiting for? It could be the next season of a television show. It could be now that uh, Black Friday is over, you're waiting for Cyber Monday tomorrow. It could be if Cyber Monday is not your thing, you're waiting for Boxing Day. Uh, It could be that you are waiting for COVID restrictions in Hong Kong to finally end so you can travel and you can resume some semblance of normal life. You're maybe waiting to retire like I am. I'm waiting for the day that I can retire and not have to work. Or maybe some of you are already waiting for the sermon to be over. Our generation, this generation, us as humanity right here, right now, are terrible at waiting and we hate it. We've been told that we need everything right now. And I know this because when I take out my phone and I load a website, if it takes more than three seconds, I I just get so antsy and I I just want it to be over. If, I, if it takes 10 seconds to load a website, I think that is way too long already. And I also know this because, for those of us that take the MTR, we go onto the platform right when the train leaves. That's already a major disappointment. You go down and you look up at the screen where it tells you when the next train is. If it's more than two minutes, a little part of me dies. And I feel like that's the same for you. There's one time I took a different line than the red line that I usually go on, the orange line, and I saw it was seven minutes until the next train. And I could not believe in Hong Kong this day and age, we need to wait seven minutes for the next train. The context of our text this morning from the Bible is periods of waiting. The last book of the Bible is, does anyone know, off the top of their head? Revelation. Yep, you're correct. What I meant to say is the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament Matthew. is Matthew. And what for us takes a millisecond to change the page, you know, I've got one page, a blank page, and then a page where it says the New Testament, it takes about a second to turn the page, or if you're using your phone a second to scroll, what takes us a second was actually 400 years of no recorded voice of God. The pattern of the Bible in the Old Testament was God speaking through his leaders, his kings, his priests, his chosen people, and the Israelites responding. And that was the pattern of the Bible up until Malachi Where at the last sentence, after the last sentence of Malachi, it was radio silence for 400 years. This period in the Bible is called the Intertestament period. And for us, 400 years is almost really hard to imagine what what that timescale even looks like. So, to help us, what happened 400 years ago? Well, it's just been Thanksgiving, so we remember the American Thanksgiving, it's when the, the pilgrims went on the Mayflower and went to Plymouth in what is now the United States. That happened 400 years ago. Um, 400 years ago is, for those that are like me, science nerds, is when Galileo first proposed that the Earth revolved around the sun. That was not received very well back then. Probably wouldn't be received well now. Uh, 400 years ago is when the King James Version of the Bible was first printed. And for those of you that are more into Chinese history, 400 years ago is when the Ming Dynasty ended. 400 years ago was when Isaac Newton first experimented with gravity. Before that, we don't have a, a framework to work with gravity. And 400 years ago was 200 years before we invented electricity. 400 years was a long time, and it is a long time for us. What is a page for us now to turn was four centuries of the Jews or the Israelites waiting and anticipating for a savior. And during these 400 years, it was not an easy time for the Israelites. The Greeks took over their land, then the Egyptians, then the Syrians, And finally, the Romans. And all this time, the Israelites were asking, where is the Savior that's been promised in the Bible to liberate us and to free us from captivity? So this is the context in which we find ourselves. And if you have your Bibles with you, let's flip to Luke 1, uh, verse 5. We're going to be reading... Quite a lot today. It's a longer passage, so it's a bit of a story time uh, here. Uh, so I have the Chinese verses printed. Uh, sorry, not printed, it's on the screen. You can follow along, and your Bibles are on the screen. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abeah. And he had a wife. From the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So let me just take a moment to, to say that there was this generational waiting. that that the Jews were experiencing. These 400 years of waiting for God to show up, and this is where Zachariah and Elizabeth were in the middle of, right? They were experiencing the tension of that. But on top of that, they have a personal time of waiting as well. We later learn that they've been praying and they've been waiting for a child, but they are now barren and old. And in the culture of the day, that means they were likely experiencing a degree of communal or personal disgrace. Verse eight, now while Zechariah, he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of God and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people, were praying outside at the hour of incense. And, they, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, for your prayers have been answered, and your wife, Elizabeth, Will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. In spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts and the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now Gabriel at the last part of their that, that passage is quoting the very last words of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And the last words of Before the 400 years of silence, the Jews, and especially Zechariah being a priest, would have known this passage very well. So him quoting that was an immediate sign that God is ending the 400 years of silence. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angels answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zachariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple, And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he has seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went back to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, "'Thus the Lord has done for me.'" and the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Fast forward to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth w- was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came to all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying what then will be what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he goes on and continues on in song praising Jesus. In one moment, God ended both the generational waiting that Zechariah and Elizabeth were experiencing and the personal waiting that they were experiencing. The last words of Malachi were fulfilled in Zechariah and Elizabeth's lifetime, in their son. Before we move on too far and in digging into the passage, I just want us to pause and just take a moment to celebrate the fact that God answers prayers. God answers our prayers. It may not be the way or, or the time that we expect, and. Maybe some of us, before we get further distracted by text messages or baby screaming, we just need to hear that this morning, that God answers our prayers. And it's a simple truth. In our crying out, in our desperation, God hears and he responds. God comes through. Now, looking at the passage, the scriptures have a word for the feeling of anticipation for a future that is better than our present. And that word is called hope. With hope, we might feel excited or we may be unsure. At the state of anticipation is is what hope is. The state of anticipating for this future is hope. One of the Hebrew words for hope is called kava. As you can see it, we had a Hebrew lesson earlier We're continuing on. Uh, Kavah. Kavah, when you break it down, means pulling on a cord tightly to produce a state of tension, and you're in this state of tension until there's release. That is what kavah means. Hope, that is hope, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. And in this 400-year intertestament period, Elizabeth and Zachariah experienced this tension. The people of God were waiting with hope for God to save them. When I was reflecting about the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth, they have grown to become low-key heroes of faith for me for a few reasons. And the first reason is that in the middle of all the tension and the waiting, And what must have been centuries of generational disappointment of not hearing from God, they were found faithfully walking in God. If you think about it, if you can imagine in those 400 years, there must have been a lot of voices and questions about God. There must be voices asking if God has abandoned us. Maybe God doesn't care about us anymore. I don't see a a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see a way that God can bring us through this. Maybe these promises 400 years ago are not real. And to add to that, there was this personal waiting that Zachariah and Elizabeth were experiencing. And it must have been years and years of personal waiting for a child of their own. It must have been difficult to live day in and day out in disappointment, and seeing the possibility of having a child dwindle with each passing year as they age. And to add to that all the cultural disgrace that we talked about. With all that in mind, I want us to notice one important small detail in our passage is that Zachariah and Elizabeth who did not just begin their worship, when God's promises were fulfilled in their lives. In the middle of the tension, in the middle of this generational waiting, in the middle of their personal waiting, they were already walking blamelessly in the word of the Lord. Zachariah continued to serve as a priest, serving his people, faithfully worshiping the Lord, even before the encounter with Gabriel. Zachariah and Elizabeth had a posture of worship even in difficult waiting. And they were walking in faith despite not being able to see how God could possibly pull through. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians to walk by faith and not by sight. And God desires for us for a posture to be that of faithful worship Even when we do not see what is going to happen. And even when we don't feel God, when we when we even when we don't see God, God desires for our posture in our waiting to be that of faithful worship. What is our posture in our moments of waiting? I talked about some funny examples about waiting earlier, but some of us here are in very real moments of waiting and very real moments of difficulty. Some of us may be waiting for a child like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Some of us may be waiting to hear back from a doctor about either a diagnosis or a prognosis of yourself, maybe of a family member. Some of us are in long seasons of waiting for a partner or a spouse. Some of us are longing for healing in relationships that have been broken, or maybe you're longing for a family member to turn to Christ. And maybe some of us are in dark moments and dark nights of not seeing a way out, out of a difficult situation. I don't want to diminish our difficult moments, but I want to elevate the worth of God. God is saying to us that in these moments, hold on to me. Because when the darkness comes, when we can't feel or see anything, God is the only ultimate good that will last the tests of eternity. All our striving, all our circumstances here on earth will ultimately end but God is asking us to hold on to what will last forever. The second reason why Zachariah that I found to be so relatable uh, and a personal hero of mine is that he has this very real moment of doubt. When Gabriel showed up and in a moment, he answered both the generational waiting and his personal waiting, and he tells Zachariah that you are going to be a father. Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He's saying me, us? I just don't see it. I am old. If you didn't notice, I am advanced in age and my wife is not far behind me. How is this even possible for us? In that moment of doubting, Zachariah looked at his present circumstances first and what God can do second. Zachariah cannot see how things can possibly work out. And therein therein lies the difference between biblical hope and optimism. Optimism is choosing to see in any circumstance that God could work for the best, oh, sorry, any circumstance, how, how the circumstances can come to work for the best. But biblical hope is based on a person. Biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. When we look through the Bible, we see that the most hopeful people were people in difficult circumstances, like Hosea, Isaiah, Daniel, David, They often recognize that there is no evidence that things will get better, but they chose hope anyway. Hope is looking at God's past faithfulness that in turn motivates our hope for the future. Let me say that again. Hope is looking at God's past faithfulness that in turn motivates hope for the future. We look forward by looking backwards, trusting in nothing other than God's character. What that means for us today is that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and how that was God's changing rescue from our slavery to evil and our certain death and separation from him, we can trust that God can be our source of hope. Optimism is wishing for the best outcome in our circumstances. Hope is trusting God's faithfulness based on the pattern of his character while we look forward in the future. And over long periods of living in this tension, this kavah of of waiting, it's so easy for us to be like Zachariah, to shift our source of hope from the promise of God, as days turn into weeks into years, we start to let our circumstance dictate how we feel about our future. About 10 years ago, I went to a friend's wedding in Bermuda. and. Uh, it was really nice. Uh, that that's those are real pictures. Uh, they they aren't Google pictures, and that's how it really looked like. It was really nice, uh, and on the uh, the day of the wedding was great, and we all celebrated. But the four four of us, four of our friends, decided, hey, the day after the wedding, why not? Why don't we rent a boat and check out all the islands in Bermuda? Now you may have some immediate questions. Uh, Do we know anything about boats? No. Uh, Did we know anything about the weather systems in Bermuda? No. Uh, Did a bunch of 25 year olds care that we didn't know those things? No. (laughs) Were there life jackets? No. (laughs) All these things should have been red flags, but we kept going. So first we went to this beach Um, on the boat, and it was super nice. It's in the next slide. And this beach, you can see, that's our boat there. So you can see it's not very big, but this is the beach that we went to. It was so nice. We stayed there for a little bit, and we can see, ah, this is great. This is such a good idea that we came here. Uh, What can possibly go wrong? And we gained our confidence, and we decided to go to the other side of the island. Not this side, where you see where the bridge is, but there's another whole side where it would take about an hour on the boat to get to. Um, so while we were going there, we, just, we noticed that the winds started to pick up and the winds came behind us. And we thought this was excellent. We can make there, we can get there faster. When the winds came behind us, we started skipping on the waves which is excellent because we we were like, we were going faster and faster and faster. And we we were moving at a pace where we would get there probably in 45 minutes. The winds were blowing behind us, it was great. But as we continued, we can see, okay, the winds are there because the clouds are there and the clouds are there and they're getting darker and we start to feel rain coming down and bits of rain, little bits of rain, got harder and harder. We could still see the landmarks that we used to orient ourselves. We saw the bridge, we saw the lighthouse, we saw the town. We still saw everything, but we kept going. But eventually, it got bad enough that being safety-conscious 25-year-olds we're like, OK, we better stop and turn our boat around. Like, We don't want to pay for more time on the boat uh because it's it's raining and we won't have a good time anyway and we thought okay let's turn around and start heading back to the marina when we turned around it took us all of three seconds to learn our first lesson about boating it's much harder to go against the waves than to go with the waves what happened was that we started we we were still able to see where we're going we saw the bridge we saw the lighthouse, we saw the town, so it was no big deal. We had confidence, we kept going, but in just a few moments, in just a few minutes, the, ta- the, the weather got so bad that the rain started coming down more, the winds picked up more. What happens when it gets really windy on a small boat is you go up one wave and you crash into the next one. You crash into the next wave. And water just came gushing in and into the boat, and soon it was start. The difference between inside the boat and outside the boat grew less and less. We had more and more water inside the boat, and we were bailing out the water as quick as we can. And it was loud. The rain was coming down. The engine noise was loud because we were thralling up and down, up and down, trying to get over these waves. We were soaked head to toe in cold water, and if you can imagine just just salt water splashing in your face constantly as you're trying to go where you are. Soon some of our friends were like, hey, do you still see that lighthouse? Because I can't see it anymore. Can you still see the town? Can you still see the bridge? And we, lost, and we <laughs> slowly realized that one landmark at a time, we slowly lost sight of all these landmarks. what seemed like forever later, we saw this rocky side of Bermuda and this piece of land jutted out just a little bit. And on the other side of this rocky formation, there is a small area, maybe the size of the stage, where the waves weren't hitting as bad. Maybe there were rocks in there, we didn't know, we didn't think about that, but we decided at that point, hey, maybe it's a good idea to just go there for a second. We sailed to this rocky shelter from the waves. We gathered ourselves. We bailed the water out. And we wiped down the the boat. We took the map out and we wiped off all the water from the map. We wiped the water off from our eyes. We put some uh, clean water on our eyes uh, so that we can see And all of a sudden, when we looked up, we saw, hey, the lighthouse is there and the bridge is there and the town is there. It's always been there, but we've been so busy trying to navigate these waves one bit at a time that we just lost sight of them. They have always been there. We figured out where we were. We use these landmarks to orient ourselves and we can see with the map where we needed to go. And we left the shelter and headed back to the marina. The waves, the wind, the rain, they were all still there, but we had this renewed focus on the things that would give us a clear picture on how to get back safely. Maybe some of us here today have been in difficult seasons of waiting and for a long time. Maybe we started out laser focused on the landmarks that would, we would use to orient ourselves. But as days turn into weeks, turn into years, we start to let the waves and our circumstances dictate how we feel about our future. The waves can be very real and it feels like if we're not careful they can easily overtake us but the good news this morning is that we don't need to sail to a rocky shelter all the way on the other side to reorient ourselves jesus is our shelter in isaiah Jesus, uh, God is described as a refuge for the poor. He is a refuge for the needy in their distress and a shelter from the storm. He's inviting us right here and right now to come to him and reorient our sources of hope. Take our source of hope from our circumstances and move it to the character of God. He's inviting us to look at Jesus' amazing work, his life, his death, his resurrection, how he rescued us from certain death, how he gave us life abundant, how he promised eternal satisfaction in him, how he has always been faithful and how he will always be faithful and use these things as our source of hope. Use these truths to anchor our hope in him as we go through seasons of waiting. And if we forget again, well, we have our map with us. We have the word of God where page after page, God describes his character for us Clearly that we can use to orient ourselves. We can use to see what the character and what the promises of God are. We can go, oh, look, it's the lighthouse. God has adopted us as sons and daughters. Oh, look, the town is here. God leads us through the valley of death. The bridge, the bridge is here. God promised us to promise to wipe away every tear. We can anchor our hope in the character of God, and the Bible spells out to us page after page what those characters are. I love that at the end of our passage today, Zechariah had many months of God silencing him, taking away his voice, but he was reoriented to focus on God and his promise. Daniel Darling, one of the resources that I use is a seminary professor in the States. He says about Zachariah in this passage that sometimes God has to quiet us so that we can hear him. Sometimes we have to be still so we can see him move. When given the opportunity, the moment to hang on to the promise of God, Zechariah obeyed and he named his son John, believing what Gabriel has said to him. Believing God's message through Gabriel to him. And immediately his tongue was loosed and he was able to speak again. And the first thing he, he said was a blessing to God, saying, God deserves all the glory. And he sings this beautiful song about Jesus, about God. After he reoriented himself, eyes focused on the things that would be the anchor of his hope, the source of his hope. I don't have much time, but just a little bit of a footnote is that you don't need to wait alone here. In seasons of waiting, we are here as a community to help each other point, each, point to the lighthouse, point to the bridge, point to the town for each other. Sometimes we, we let the waves overtake us. Sometimes the waves look big, and that's all we can see, and that's why we have a community. We're here to point out the landmarks, to point out God's character to each other. So just three things today from me. The first thing is God answers prayers. Amen, that's good news for us. The second is the posture we take in waiting is that of worship. The third thing is when our circumstances look bigger than the promise of God, we can reorient our source of hope on the person of Jesus through his word. We celebrate Advent today because at the end of the 400 years of waiting, in the first chapter of Matthew, Mary obeyed the... God, and she names Jesus, Jesus, which means God with us. And at the very end, very last chapter, after Matthew describes the whole life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, what, what Jesus says is, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of age. So we come this morning, this afternoon, to Jesus, our source of hope. Our hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, and he is with us forever. Let's pray. God, for some of us, This morning, we have been in seasons of waiting for a long time where it feels like it's 400 years of silence, 400 years of not hearing a word from you. It feels like that for us sometimes, Lord. When all we can do is see a few feet in front of us. We can't feel you. We can't see you. But God, we're saying this morning, right here, right now, based on the character of you and what you have shown us about us, how you have rescued us from certain death, how you have given us life that we can trust in you. We're going to lean in even though we don't see the next few steps because you are a God that is faithful. We we are going to lean in to you and not into our circumstances. We're not going to let our circumstances dictate how we feel about our future because our future is secure in you. God, help me, help us, to lift our eyes above the waves, to see the ways that you have led us and will continue to lead us. Help us to reorient our lives where we feel the the waves so much to being secure in you. God, you are the source of our rescue you are the source of our hope thank you jesus we're gonna sing the song cornerstone and the first thing we sing in that song is my hope is built on nothing less but jesus and his righteousness That is our hope today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.